0: Hawks from every angle every week. I'm your host, Candace Hagens, and as always, it is a pleasure and it's a privilege to talk Hawks with you. Guys, we are officially one day away from training camp, and I am so excited to wrap up this uh, training camp preview series as we look at the roster and get started with talking about some actual football content. It has been a long, long way to wait. there actually are a few things to talk about before we get into our uh, wrapping up with our series for better or for worse we'll talk about that from a defensive perspective and because training camp is only a mere few hours away we will also give you a countdown or just what i consider to be my top seven storylines to watch for training camp so there's a lot to get into today but before we get into all of that first we got some seahawks news to talk about finally right i know it's been a while and so i'm sure by now that you guys have heard and seen the new promotions and the cool really dope uh throwback uniforms the with weighted throwback uniforms from the seahawks 90s i think the seahawks absolutely Killed their production and they really did make it worth the wait. It was hard to sort of think that, you know, that after a couple years, that it really would be worth the wait. But it really was. The way that they took their time, masterfully integrated it, masterfully had a camp- whole campaign around it, and the design of it is just, in my opinion, unmatched. Best uniforms in the NFL, I'm sure you probably agree. Or, you might have one other favorite and then you'd agree, the Seahawks are the best after that because they're just that good, guys. There's not a ton I can say about the uniforms. After all, this is a podcast and, well, it's not a fashion one. But there are some other moves to be made. So a couple things have happened. Eugenia Nwosu was, was extended for three years, 50, $59 million. Now, if you include his base money, it really was more of a three-year 45 million dollar extension, but well earned, in my opinion, on him. It was good on the Seahawks to take some of their young talent at a premier permission at a premier position and really lock them in. Some things as the Seahawks, the mistakes that they made in the past is to let those guys walk. You know, let a Janavian Clowney walk. Yes, well, he's younger than Janavian Clowny was at the time, but it just seems like every time they get somebody that gives them good production it's a one-year rental and then that's it and a lot of people were I did see some people that were concerned that it really was a one-year breakout and will he be able to sustain this but I really think when you look at Nuchenna Nuosu's um ascent if you will to this point you gotta give it you gotta keep in mind that he never had an opportunity to start until last year. He was an extremely good pass rusher, but the guy was behind Joey Bosa. What can you do? <laughs> like he did very well for the opportunities that the Chargers would give him. So it was it was easy. And it, when he was signed, in my mind, it was easy to see a potential step in the right direction for him to maybe be a double digit sat guy based on his production that he got as a rotational player and his upside and his opportunity and his hunger. I foresaw that, and that's why I thought the signing was such a good signing off the bat. It was because I thought this is a guy who could potentially get your double-digit sacks. You know, he just hasn't had the opportunity to be able to do that, and he learned under some of the best. So I think this was a great move by the Seahawks to not only lock up that guy, but to give some immediate cap relief right now so that they can make some additional roster moves. We'll talk about what some of those rosters move, roster moves are next. So after they extended Uchenna Nwosu, Quadre uh, Diggs <laughs> announced today that he also restructured his contact his contract, converting base to bonus, and that's great too. So the Seahawks are cooking something. Uh, We did end up getting, right before I hopped on and started recording this podcast, I saw that the Seahawks made some additional roster moves. They cut players like Isaiah Dunn, um, people who I didn't think would make the 53-man roster anyway. But an interesting cut was Alton Robinson, and they cut him. And it just seems like he couldn't get together with his health. After a breakout rookie year and a couple splash plays in his sophomore year, he just doesn't seem to be able to move past that knee injury. And I think as deep as the edge rush room is right now for the Seattle Seahawks, they don't have to sit around and wait on him to get healthy. So it is an unfortunate loss because of you never really know if he's going to be able to shine or not. But there were questions about if he could legitimately play well in a 4-3, well, outside of a 4-3 defense anyway. And we never got to see that out of him. So, Sad loss to go. Um, they have signed a couple of D tackles. Uh, Levi Bell, I believe is his name, from uh, USFL. He was a star in that league. They also signed D tackle Roderick Perry, who doesn't really have a lot of experience as a starter. He was with the Browns on their practice squad last year. He was an unrestricted, uh, sorry, undrafted free agent guy. So he's sort of a project. I, I really wish that they would do something to truly solidify that defensive line at the especially at the nose tackle position. That still is a need for me. This is something. It's better than nothing. But I just feel like they've been throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall at that position, and they really should just try to get somebody as a short thing. I'm a big fan of Matthew Ioannidis. I think he can do some pretty good things. He give you similar production as a Shelby Harris. I think nine quarterback hits, only one sack, but he can he can get to the he can get to the quarterback, give you a little bit there and pressure, especially for a nose tackle. But he can hold up at the point of attack. Uh, he played for the Panthers, and I think he can do a pretty good job and at least give Cam Young some good competition to where if he ends up being the starter, he's it's that he's truly earned it and not just that. He's been thrown into some role that he's not ready for. So that's all of the news and updates we have for today. Uh, Things are starting to get moving. It's good to have some actual football content and news to talk about. So anyway, like I said, today we're here going to do the the series, wrap up the series for better for worse, go through each of our uh, defensive position groups and give you my opinion on if I think the team has improved or not. We'll do that, and we'll get into some training camp headlines coming up next. So let's get into it and talk some hogs. All right, so let's start off with the most talked about position group on the defense all all season long. The defensive line. Is it better? Is it for worse? Yeah, for me. It's worse, and th- that's for a lot of reasons. It-, it really is. So if you if you go back and you look, I think in- and really in order to see where the Seahawks are now, for me I think it's important to evaluate where they were, both on paper and production wise, because I think that's important. There's some important context there, especially for the defense. I think for all- for a lot of position groups, what guys were on paper ended up being different than what they ultimately were on the year. So last year, the defensive line was Shelby Harris, Al Woods, Puna Ford, Brian Monet, Quentin Jefferson, and then they ended up having Miles Adams make the roster as a surprise. Well, I think everybody felt pretty good about that defensive line. I think most people were excited to have the addition of Shelby Harris, Everybody still loved Al Woods. People thought Puna would take a step forward. And Brian Monet was a decent backup. And you knew Quentin Jefferson was going to be able to get you, you know, a reasonable amount of sacks. Well, that, that line ended up being extremely disappointing. It really did. Uh, if you go back and look at the players, Shelby Harris, while PFF loves him, and he scored a 74.8. He really wasn't able to provide much pass rush, only really giving the Seahawks two sacks and not being consistent with his pressures. There were several games where he maybe gave you a pressure a game. So he was a real letdown in that department. That made things harder on your edge rushers. Al Woods, while he was phenomenal in his role, wasn't able to stay on the field very long. Just for minor nicks and bruises, um, I think he barely played, maybe maybe 20 snaps a game. Sometimes a lot less than that. So while he was great, PFF gave him a 70, 69.9, 70. It just wasn't consistent enough. So then that left you with a lot of Puna Ford. Also, let me say this: Shelby Harris missed quite a bit of time with with injury too. So your top two guys, while they sounded great on paper. They, they really didn't give you the production that you were hoping that you would get at the consistent level that the team really needed them to be there. So then they gave him a lot of Puna Ford. And Puna Ford, we can all agree, was a real letdown. He just didn't fit with the system. And that's really a common theme. With the exception of Shelby Harris, a lot of the guys on this defensive line played a lot of 4-3 when they were at their best. A lot of 4-3 stuff and I just feel that's, that that exposed itself really really early on when it came to the run game uh, because those guys just weren't the reading react type guys I don't think I don't necessarily there are a lot of Seahawks fans some of you listening out there right now might have a lot of issues with the 3-4 system you might question the value in it I don't because I the, the 3 4-3 system that the team ran was so antiquated and so predictable that the, that offenses were just shredding it to, be, to bits and pieces. Now, offenses were still shredding the run game to bits and pieces, but I just feel like the run game in general, in the modern NFL, is becoming less and less apparent. If you can't protect against the pass in the modern NFL – In my opinion, that's worse. And I think it's only going to progressively get worse as the NFL leans into the passing game and creates rules to give it advantages. You can't stop that. You won't be able to win anything. As frustrating as it is to watch a run game and not being able to watch a team run down your throat and not being able to stop it, it is better than the alternative from a long-term perspective. So... I think what the Seahawks are trying to do, and that is catch up to the modern NFL in their scheme, is correct. But you do have to have the right personnel. And last year it became obvious they did not have the guys to do that. Brian Monet, now they got to do that. Quentin, Quentin Jefferson, now they got to do that. No, nah, jury's out on Miles Adam, but he was all, and he was a barely make the roster guy anyway. Now this year, on paper, this team is worse. Like, there's no question about it. Their highest player, or their quote-unquote best player uh, on this team right now is Draymond Jones. And that's somebody PFF hated. Now, I don't take in-all, be-all in PFF. You hear me reference it a lot, mostly because it's one of the a common way to sort of gauge all players a standard to gauge everybody by. Not just because I think it's the Bible, but... They hated Draymond Jones, and it had a lot to do with his inability to stop the run. So a lot of people are high on this move, and they don't realize Draymond Jones, well, he stunk in the run, and there are some reasons why he stunk against the run. That team, the Broncos team, we all watched, and likely a lot of amusement, we all watched is that defense continually had to be trotted out on the field, trotted out on the field, and he's doing these long cut-by-a-thousand-cuts, drives on defense because their offense just wasn't able to stay on the field so they ended up being and playing most of the games and that's going to tear any defensive player down the defense was sharp to start the year and just fell off a cliff because well they got tired of being on the field so i will give him some credit there but pff rates him as a 51.8 and the seahawks just invested a lot of money in this guy there's some questions about if, while I like the move, there are there's some reasonable concerns. I had to go back and double-check. I I didn't realize that PFF was that low on the guy. And to be honest, like I said, PFF's not the Bible, but it scares me a little bit. It scares me a little bit. Their highest player rater, their highest-rated player right now, and, of course, this is what this is why you'll see PFF sucks, this is why you'll say it, but Jaren Reed january was the highest rated player right now on their team with a 61.9 meanwhile last year the highest rated player on that team was a 74.5 so they don't even have a single player above a 70 on pff and that to me is scary they don't have an official nose tackle i think i'm more afraid of not having a true nose tackle right now cameron young the rookie out of Mississippi State is slated to be the nose tackle. And I'm not sure that's his right position. I think he's probably more of a three tag. If you go back and look at his tape, he doesn't do a good job of just anchoring down and taking on double teams. In fact, some of his worst snaps are against double teams. And that has to be your bread and butter if you're going to be an effective guy in the in the NFL. And I don't I don't knock the the concept that John Snyder said that the nose tackle is one of the easier positions in the league for a rookie to step in and play. I agree with that notion. And I don't think that's a, a position you need to pour a lot of resources in. Not heavy resources. I agree. But it doesn't mean you can just plug and play any rookie and nose tackle. You do have to have a rookie with that set of nose, with that set of skill set. Now, I'll acknowledge there weren't a lot of guys out there who could do that, and I'm not sure it was worth overreaching for a Maxie Smith uh, one of those guys just to say you have some somebody like I think they got better overall players right and I think you can plug and play a veteran off the street right now if they wanted to like I said Matt Ioditis he's still out there I don't think they needed to to draft a rookie high in order just to fill that position because there were limited numbers that way. That's not the, that's not a good draft strategy overall. Needless to say, though, still a hole and still a concern on my part. Jaron Reed, I would feel a lot better if Jaron Reed was a rotational player. He's just a guy that's been inconsistent, and he, he had some good moments with the Packers last season in that 3-4 defense, but he was also inconsistent. Now, he came in, you know, I think halfway through the year. He didn't really play – the whole year, if I understand that correctly, I could be remembering that wrong. But, you know, uh, he knows the Seahawks better. That'll help. Even though it is a new defensive scheme. I think the Seahawks do tend to bring the, be- the best out of him. He prefer- he performed much better there than with any place else. I think that culture uh, sort of motivates him in a way that other cultures probably don't tend to. He's a real dog, compete mentality guy. That'll count for something. But I just don't know if it's enough. I would love him as a depth guy. But as a consistent starter, I, I have questions. And Mario Edwards, they just brought him in. He's a guy, 56 on um, PFF. I'm actually pretty high on Mario Edwards, to be honest. Love his production in a short amount of time. He seems to be very efficient. Pass rusher, which the Seahawks have never really had, a cons- uh, an efficient pass rusher. He's a veteran guy. I think he's going to be able to be counted on, if nothing else, to get pressures. He was a really big part of um, a team that had was, I think, top five in defending the run last year. He was a really big part of that. card out a, a nice role for himself. So you like to have a, a guy like that. In the rotation, especially after having their issues. And then you've got question marks. Mike Morris, what can he give you? No one knows. I think Miles Adams is not even... He may not even be on this roster. He may not make it. I think it's a good chance Mike Morris took his spot in terms of the take-a-flyer guy on the defensive line. We'll see if Miles Adams even makes this team. But if you just look at the roster on paper... It's worse, no question about it. Now, I will say this, even though it's worse, I feel like it could be the opposite of last year where on paper going into the year, a lot of people felt pretty good about the defensive line. There was some question about pass rush, maybe. Would that be consistent? But the defensive line wasn't really the talking point. It was more the cornerbacks, the linebackers, Those types of things. But the production ended up being worse. Like I said, this year, I think on paper, they could look worse and and really be worse. But but the production ends up being better because having personnel that fits is so important. It's so underrated. So they brought in guys who better fit this system, who will buy into the system. Because Al Woods, he even did an interview with the Jets. He wasn't really feeling the system. That affects the defensive line, man. You need guys to buy into who feel who feel like this, the scheme that the Seahawks will be running complements their skill set. They feel like they're being maximized appropriately. That's going to go far. You don't have to try to constantly convince guys that this is the best way. So that'll help. I also think the young guys can be a factor. I think they can be, I think one of them will pop. Will it be Cam Young? Will it be Mike Morris? My money's on Mike Morris, but one of those guys will pop. And another thing that gives me hope about the whole nose tackle thing and my concern with it is just that. That's one of the easiest positions you can find. Nose tackle and running back are one of the most plug-and-play positions in the league. The nose tackle's job is to stand there, be strong, and take on double teams. Pull a guy off a street who wasn't going to have a job otherwise and tell him you want him to do that for a couple million dollars? Yeah, so I get what the Seahawks are doing. Let the young guys battle it out. Let some young talent... Come in and see who can take King. If anybody can hold on to the position and stick with it, great. They'll go with that guy. If not, they'll have the financial flexibility after the moves they made today to be able to go and grab somebody. Kind of like they did Bruce Irvin off the couch. Or uh, even they did this with the cornerbacks a few years ago with Akella Witherspoon and all these other guys. I think, can't remember if DJ Reed was in that bunch or not think so but they just brought in all these other guys to compete at the cornerback spot and oh Michael Jackson he was in that mix and just saw who stuck that could do something like that too and I think either way at that position that's not something I'm gonna freak out about so that's it on the defensive line so let's move on the next position I want to talk about are the edge rushers from an edge rush perspective are the Seahawks for better or are they for worse? Better, but barely. <laughs> Let's talk about it. So last year, the Seahawks had, from an address perspective, new Nugosu, Daryl Taylor was projected as a starter at the time. Uh, then you had Boye Mafé come in. And that was pretty much it. Now, now edge rusher was a light, was a position that was light. And that's why I said, if there was a question about the defensive line anywhere, those edge rushers, I don't think people question the top talent. I just think people question the depth. And they should have because ultimately what they had to do was bring old Bruce Irvin off the couch and start playing him. So you ended up bringing him into the equation. This year, yes, you have Chenin Nwosu, who I think will be better in his, you know, this is the second year in the system. He thrived in his first year, and I think with that, they can just get some a little bit more juice from a Draymond Jones or from another guy to pop to kind of help him not have as much pressure on him, not have as many double teams. You'll see more production out of Chenna. Then you got a second year Boye Mafe. Hopefully, he can develop that pass rush better, which which I feel good about coming into the coming into the league. He was touted as a good pass rusher and people questioned his ability to defend the runner or set the edge. That was his weakness. He ended up being elite, and I mean elite, at, de- at setting an edge and defending the run, but he ended up being less than mediocre when it came to consistent pass rush. And if he can get better at the area with which he was touted on in the beginning, he could turn some of that raw athleticism into some polished technique. He's going to be a game changer. Then if Daryl Taylor can learn how to make the most out of his rotational role, I think he will be a great asset as well. He's gotta learn how to get more consistent pressure. He was a real boomer bust guy. Half of his sacks, I don't take much precedent in the 9.5 sacks. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't, I don't. He got three of them against the Jets, against a broken down old Dwayne Brown. Sorry. I'm not impressed. If it wasn't for the three-sack game against the Jets, he would have had a mediocre season at best. The guy, he was too boom or bust. Either he hit home or he didn't get any pressure at all. And I'd rather have the guy who consistently gets pressures but doesn't get the sacks than the guy who's boom or bust. In terms of affecting an offense, the pressure matters more. So... I digress. I get up my soapbox. But then, what I like more about this year, and and to me, what makes it better, but barely so, the guys are pretty much the same, right? Like, Candace, what changed? You didn't really, the top three guys are the same top three guys, even if we now think that Boye Mafe is more likely to start than Daryl Taylor. You're right in thinking that. But the difference is the depth. So you got guys like Derrick Hall. You got guys like Tariq Smith. you would have had alton robinson but he just got cut today (laughs) unfortunately for him i gotta take him out of my notes but those guys i think are really valuable depth pieces and one of those guys may pop so what you what the seahawks did was even though they didn't do an overhaul in terms of their personnel one i don't think they had a reason to the seahawks were seventh in the nfl when it came to sack numbers They need more consistent pressure. And a big part of the reason why they didn't get so much consistent pressure was those guys played on the field a lot. Those guys got way too many snaps, way too many games. So it played into their boom or bust ability because they just didn't have the same juice as they did. But if you increase your depth, you do two things. One, you give the guys at the top a chance to shine more in their role and to be really fresh when they're out there on the field and then two you're putting your eggs in not just one basket last year a lot of eggs were put in the Daryl Taylor basket and Daryl Taylor really had to have popped last year in order for that really truly three-man rotation to work he would have had to but he didn't and that's when they needed to bring in somebody else. They had all their eggs in the Daryl Taylor basket. They've learned. Their eggs aren't all in the Derek Hall basket. Why? Because they still got a guy like Tariq Smith in the wings. They still do have Daryl Taylor. They still do have Boye Mafe. There's only one spot that's solidified. Somebody else has to earn that second spot. And they're putting in the guys who are capable, who have the tools to do it, who fit the scheme well. who just got to go out and improve it so that's that's my take on the edge group there's not much to say there because it wasn't a problem group I do think it was better so not a ton to elaborate on so moving on to the linebackers interior linebackers let me specify this new scheme the edge rushers are the outside linebackers and then then, then then, there's the interior linebackers. Did the interior linebackers get for better or for worse? In my opinion, it was worse. Sorry. I <laughs> said twice, guys. But in my opinion, it's worse. It, it is. And you might say, Candace, how can you say that? How can you say the linebacker room is worse? I know this take is controversial. How can you say it's worse? We got Bobby Wagner, Hall of Famer, Seahawks legend back in the building. I agree with you. Very excited about Bobby. I'm not discounting Bobby. But here's my number one question with the linebackers. Last year, the linebacker core was Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton. And nobody felt good about that by the way. But even then, even at that point, you could kind of get it because nobody expected Jordan Brooks to be good in coverage. But people thought Cody, really, that's kind of his specialty, right? He's supposed to be the guy that's good in coverage. My question to you about the current linebacker, interior linebacker room right now with Bobby Wagner... And Devin Bush, and maybe Jordan coming coming back at some point. Who is covering anyone? Seriously, who's the guy I'm supposed to cover? It's not Devin Bush. I got to tell you, he's still figuring out how to how to learn this game without his athleticism, without his speed, post injury. He's still learning how to work around those limitations. He's not your cover guy. Bobby Wagner isn't your cover guy. Jordan Brooks isn't your cover guy. This is a interior linebacker room with not a single linebacker who can play in coverage on the interior. To me, in the modern NFL, that is worse. It is worse. Even if you're more talented, it's worse because that's an easy spot to expose. It's not not hard for offensive coordinators to figure out how to exploit that. We've seen it time and time again. My only hope is that they're planning on playing a lot of dime packages, get some DBs out there, DBs galore. Let Jamal Adams be a linebacker. Not that we just love him in coverage either, but they're gonna have to be real creative. And I personally don't trust our coaching staff to be Sean McFay creative about how to hide Bobby's, Bobby's limitations. Because really, Bobby actually ended up uh, playing around the same amount of cover snaps as Jordan Brooks. But Jordan Brooks was exposed dramatically and Bobby Bobby Wagner was the best rated linebacker on PFF in the league. And he did play well. Like, it wasn't just a PFF thing. Like, he, the eye test, played very well. They hid his limitations. I don't trust I don't trust the staff to do that. I trust that the staff will get Bobby looking cooked from a coaching perspective. I don't think they can hide him as well. They can't hide any of their guys that will. It's always been a weak spot in the defense. And while the running game will be better because Bobby will help with that, thank God, I just worry that in the passing game that will be a problem. And while it's one thing, and it's only one thing, the other thing is, too, depth. Now, that was an issue last year. But still, the depth isn't there. You're counting on a super old Bobby and a guy who's barely recovered from an ACL injury. And a guy coming straight directly off of an ACL injury. I just... I don't see... There's just a lot of holes in it. And as excited as I am to have Bobby back. And he should be back. I'm happy he's back. I just can't see it as better. I see Bobby being better than what we had. But the room? Compared to what that... I don't see any lessons being truly learned. Other than that, Bobby should have never left. I don't see any lessons that, sh- that that needed to be learned. That they took from that and said, yeah... We lost Jordan Brooks and we didn't have anything in the linebacker position. Perhaps we should have one extra guy. Nope. Nothing. We got killed in coverage at the linebacker position. Perhaps we should draft the linebacker with coverage ability. Nope. And there were plenty. And there were plenty available late. Nothing. And that is a disappointment. So, for worse for me. However, moving on to the brighter side, let's talk a little bit about the cornerback room. Is the Seahawks cornerback room for better or for worse? A hundred percent for better. I could talk all day about the cornerback room. For your sake, I won't, but I could talk all day about it because it's the most exciting thing to watch for me I am the most intrigued with how the cornerback competition is going to work out, specifically at the nickel position, because Kobe Bryant, while a lot of people give him credit, and I liked his overall play, his playmaking ability early in the season, he struggled in coverage. Now, he was able to improve after week 12, but how much will he improve in year two to be determined? Because he's got some competition. They didn't just – Pin all their eggs in the Kobe Bryant basket. And I love it. They brought in Julian Love, a guy who could play in the slot. And they drafted cornerback Devin Witherspoon at the number fifth overall pick. And he's a guy that played a lot of nickel. Now, a lot of people do not like the Witherspoon nickel opportunities. Guys, I encourage you. I implore you. Pay attention to the trends in the league. These slot receivers are killing defenses. Why are slot receivers killing defenses? Like Justin Jefferson? Like say Brown? Why are they killing it? There are no slot cornerbacks that can defend it. So, when some of the most elite weapons in football, your Cooper Cups are killing guys in the slot. Perhaps you should have one of your best cornerbacks in the slot. I think this outdated notion that a slot player you don't get value at is purely becoming outdated. Yeah, five years ago, the slot cornerback meant nothing. But now, if you can lock down a Justin Jefferson, if you can lock down a Cooper Cup, if you can lock down a Saint Almar um, uh, St. Brown, but you lock up the offense. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Because those guys are the best guys. And they generally don't have a ton of outside compliments that are game changers. The Seahawks are one of the very few exceptions that can hopefully have a Jackson Smith in Jigba of that caliber. And talent at least. In the slot. And then have two outside threats to, to boot. Most teams don't have that. So put your best corner on the best wide receiver. And if he so happens to be in the slot, so what? So what? It's great to have a cornerback who has that versatility. That's why you draft him. Because you can do that. When it calls for it. Now, do I want him permanently in the slot? No, because for a lot of teams in the league, it's not going to be difference making. But for the teams that it is, you drafted him number five overall because he can do both. So, I digress. And then there's Trey Brown. Do they play him on the inside a little bit? Love Trey Brown. Had a really impressive uh, games in his rookie year before he got injured. And he really hadn't been able to truly make his way back. He had a tough injury. Think it was a Achilles injury? That's a tough one to come back from. Would well, they look at him in the corner slot. And what I would love to see is this seeing what's going to happen at the actual cornerback slots, right? Because you got Tariq Woolen, his, his spot is clearly solidified. I'm hearing that Michael Jackson is tearing it up at OTAs. At least he was tearing it up at OTAs. He's not going to give a spot up easily. Everybody assumed Whitterspoon would come in and take Michael Jackson's spot. Well, if Michael Jackson is playing hardcore. It might be Tariq Willem, Michael Jackson, and you might see some Devin Witherspoon in the slot, and then you might see them take Mike Jackson out the field, maybe have Devin Devin on the outside, maybe put Kobe in the slot in in replacement and kind of rotate it out that way. In fact, if I had to make a projection, that's the way it's going to go, and you will see players like Trey Brown just kind of be on the outs, which which, which stinks because I like the kid like his potential, but, you know, he really did. He missed the opportunity, which is unfortunate for him. But if he steps up and he plays, I like mean, who knows? Trey could take Kobe Bryant's spot. Because the cornerback room is so locked, I don't expect to see a ton of Julian Love in the slot, unless we're talking dime packages or something like that. I really think you'll see a combination of Tariq, Mike, Devin, and I think you'll see some switching. I don't think it'll be, this guy is always here, this guy is always here, this guy's always here. I think the versatility is good. I really do. I think that the ability to mix and match is gonna make the secondary that much more powerful, that much harder to game plan for. Cause you're never sure what's gonna happen. And then when you throw in the X factor of, you know, Jamal Adams and how he affects the secondary on top of that. You got a lethal group for sure. Now, speaking of the safeties, of course, <laughs> I would be remiss not to say that the safeties for better. Um, and it's for one simple reason. Last year, All the eggs were in the Jamal Adams basket. This year, they have Jamal Adams insurance and Julian Love. And they can still do their three safety sets. Jared Reed, they drafted him. Now, I really miss Ryan Neal. I really do. But I think Julian Love is better than Ryan Neal. And I think Ryan Neal deserves better than to be the fourth guy. The fourth safety. I do. Like I love to have him be the fourth guy. That'd be incredible. But he deserves better than that. He deserves opportunity to really shine. And I think the Seahawks kind of decided to give him that. So, shout out Ryan Neal. Best of luck to him. But that, that safety room is better. A healthy Jamal Adams. Even if you don't get him, I don't expect to see him the full season. Go ahead and brace yourselves right now. Because I'm going to call it. Jamal Adams isn't playing all them games. I think you could hardly expect any player to play all 17 games these days. But I think you get... Twelve good games out of Jamal Adams it's fine I don't care if he doesn't come in until week 5 <gasps> Candice how could you say that we're paying him all this money I'm sorry I want the guy healthy and that quad injury is not anything that's easy to come back from I want him healthy and I want him right I mean Quandre Dix came in enough time for training camp and looked at how everybody crapped on him the first 5 weeks I'm just saying it's not always in your best interest to come in flat out in week one. Come in, work your way better, work your way in, and play when you're healthy. Play when you're ready to contribute. I'd rather have Jamal Adams in the playoffs than the regular season. To be honest, he's a much better playoff player, I think, in terms of his how he can affect how teams plan for you. Just his very presence on the field impacts how teams plan for you. I want those kind of monkey wrenches being thrown into those kind of versatility packages being thrown into come playoff time. That's when I want to see Jamal, not in week three, not necessarily. Not if he's good to go in week three, great, happy to have him, but just kind of brace yourselves guys. You may not be seeing a lot of whole lot of Jamal Adams for a while. And I think it will be okay. That doesn't make the safety room any less quality. All right, so that about sums us up for the defensive position groups on the team. Overall, as you can see, I think the defense is better. Um, There was a lot of room to grow, especially on that defensive line, they overhauled it completely. And we'll see what those changes ultimately end up amounting to. But as we head into training camp, before I close, it would only be right for me to talk about a few things I'm excited about with this with this group. Now, one thing I already mentioned, that cornerback battle, I already kind of detailed that, so I'm not going to get super into detail with that. But another thing I'm really curious about is the nose tackle outcome. Does Cameron Young really earn it? Did they throw him out there without true experience, or do they bring in a guy to really help him compete to truly have Cam Young earn it? my guess the bit. but it'll be interesting to see i i it's a guy i'll really be watching closely for feedback on and if i'm not hearing a lot about cam young i want to start hearing about like some new guys they're bringing in <laughs> i just i just do because they're they're not that's a very important position in this scheme and you need a guy who you know can be competent you don't need a superstar you just need a competent body and they need some more competent bodies at that position so that's something i'll be watching for another thing i'm curious about and this won't this isn't necessarily a position battle but with the new edition of s n n of j sorry not SNN. <laughs> sorry guys excuse me with j s n jackson coming in uh, there's been a lot of talk that the that the three wide receiver set that the three tight end sets won't be um as prominent as they were last year. And I don't disagree per se, but I don't think they're gonna go away. So I'm really curious to see as we get into seeing some of the, um you know, training camp battles. Are we seeing more 11 personnel? Are we seeing more 12 personnel? Are they utilizing those three tie-in sets still? Are they leaning more into the three wide receiver sets instead, or is it pretty balanced? And I hope that it's balanced because what I think the three tight end sets did was set up the run game impeccably. And the only reason why those stopped being so successful is because there was no threat of the run. So it kind of defeated the purpose. It, it took away the legs under the entire system. But I really like to see them mix and match that and not lean too heavy into one or the other. And I like to see if they do lean heavy into one. Um, more likely to be the 11 personnel sets if they do lean into something. Another thing I'm curious to watch, underrated thing that I don't think a lot of people are talking about is Derrick Young. I I I like the kid. I got to be honest, he, he showed some really good interesting versatile abilities as the as his rookie year wound it down and now that he doesn't have to be depended on to be a third option. I don't think I like him as a as a wide receiver 3, but I love him as a wide receiver four. And I think he can be a great four to one day become a great three. I just don't think he's ready to be a great three right now. He won't need to be anytime soon, which I love. But I think he can be a quality number four guys for you. How amazing would it be for the Seahawks to have their top four wide receivers locked in, ready to go, loaded for the long term, to have a core of four wide receivers that have a quality, versatility, he can do a lot of the things that Diaz Scritch was supposed to be able to do. And anything extra that Diaz Scritch can manage to scrounge up is just extra, right? It's cherry on top. But I, I like to see the kid. I hope he gets some opportunities to shine. I hope he can make the most out of this because while he won't be able to be wide receiver three, that's four, that fourth spot is up for grabs. And it's important, I think, because... You know, you don't know. You you, you don't know how it's a 17-game season. We saw the wide receivers kind of get banged up last year. And you want a guy who can step up and make some plays for you if you need him to. Another thing I find interesting, and I'm sure everybody's thinking about this, and that's the battle at center. Uh, Alusagon Alusa Ola with Timmy versus Evan Brown. It's a great battle. I'm really excited to see how this goes. I think they go with the veteran talent and let Olu work his way in. Some people think that Olu will take take the reins mid season. I think that only happens with the injury. The Seahawks aren't big on, you know, trying to change the percent the, the center position a lot. If that were the case, they would have upgraded it a long time ago mid season. I think they'd like to find a guy stick with a guy now if injury happens of course Olu would get a shot I would guess it's Evan Brown but there would be nothing more exciting for me than for Olu to take the reins because I'm pretty high on Evan Brown I think he did really well on one of the best offenses in the league offensive lines in the league um, with the Detroit Lions he filled in nice and he's on a great offensive line So, if he held up against the best, yeah, I think he'll do very well in in this role. People are only down on him because he didn't do as well at guard. Well, so what? He didn't do as well as guard. He still didn't do poorly. Even then, playing out a position he didn't do badly, which lets me know his floor. His floor is not bad. And it's not likely we'll see not bad because he'll be playing his right position. So that's a, that's, a, that's a battle I'm excited about. I think, you know, while I think it will be Evan Brown, I'll be the first person to come on here and be thrilled with the prospect that a rookie has overtaken a bit. At, at one of the hardest positions, I think, to grasp at center. And if there's any rookie who can do it, It will be Olu with him. make no mistake. That's a fifth-round pick that is probably one of the more decorated fifth-round picks I can recall at all in recent history. That draft was weird, man. He was a third-round pick at at worst, in my opinion. And I know he didn't do well at the draft, but when a guy that decorated, who can win the Remington Award, the best center award, and beat... basically when he enters an entirely new system and still get the award after being nominated in a completely different system the year before and then to win the Outlander award on top of that the best interior lineman period award is phenomenal there's a guy who can take Evan Brown's spot Olu is up for the challenge I give him that and then lastly, the last thing I'm interested to pay attention to is just Devin Bush, how does he look Um, another year removed from his ACL injury? Is he looking quicker? Is he grasping the concepts? Is he playing with confidence? These are things I'm curious about. Um, Even more so, I'm curious about things like with Bobby Wagner being so old and Devin Bush being young, but, you know, I don't know if you just wanna give him a necessary run. He only got two guys. Like are we who's playing linebacker in preseason? Like, <laughs> there's gonna be no one to watch. I think we maybe saw a little bit of Cody in, in Jordan in the preseason. I don't wanna see Bobby at all in the preseason. So I'm sure they'll find some Joe Smo guys to fill in, I guess. But it's just it's something I thought about. Like, man, that interior linebacker position is gonna be brutal in preseason it's not really important but we're talking about training camp storylines and so that's just one that i will and i'm curious about see how uh i will be wanting about to see how that turns out all right guys that's all the time we have for today you can find me on twitter at ethos seahawks for any updated news polls analysis and, you know, we'll be talking about some of the training camp things that's going on. So be sure to give us a follow if you do not already. You can follow my personal page at CandaceH901. We will be back. Sort of reporting some of the training camp stories, seeing how things are going along. Maybe uh, if Pete Carroll gives some interesting quotes, we'll do a parsing peek. I always love those and just kind of break down what P. Curl is thinking and how it will apply to this upcoming season. Alright, guys, in the meantime, that's all I got. I'm out. And as always, go hop.